is March 2016, and the resident historian has been reading again. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked-out history folks at orhistory.com. I'm your host, Andy Lindbergh, and under the guidance of resident historian Doug Kent Crispin, we profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. Kick-Ass Oregon History is a presentation of ORHistory.com and is supported by listeners like you. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit ORHistory.com and click Donate. This is resident historian Doug Kent Crispin, and this is another episode of the Kick-Ass Book Club. And it's my favorite book club I've ever been in because I get to choose all the books we read. No more selections about some 40-something divorcee wandering the world to find their happy place. It's just solid books about Oregon history. We interview the authors that write these books and present them with probing questions about why their books should be in the Oregon Argosy. And we'd like to encourage you to ask them, too. Just go on our Facebook, our Twitter, or email us your questions for your favorite authors, and we just might ask yours. This is resident historian Doug Kent Crispin, and I am chatting with Joe Streckert. You might know Joe from his writings in the Portland Mercury and his fantastic historical podcast, Interesting Times, which if you hadn't heard, you should check out. But today we are chatting with Joe about his new ebook, The Legend of Polybius. Thanks for chatting with us today, Joe. Thank you, Doug. So tell me, what on earth is Polybius? Polybius uh, was a video game in the early 1980s, and the story goes is that it showed up in Portland. Uh, sometimes some of the stories say suburbs of Portland, like Beaverton or something. And it was this game with these very sort of mysterious looking vector graphics. Uh, it's sometimes mentioned as looking sort of like Tempest, if you're familiar with that game. And kids would play it and they would really get sucked into it more so than any other game. And this the thing when you walked away from it would change you. You'd play Polybius, and it would do something to your mind. You know, maybe you couldn't sleep. Um, maybe you would have, you know, these weird spells, like an epileptic fit. Uh, my favorite account of a kid playing Polybius was that afterward, they were unable to feel sad. Yeah. And it was supposedly highly addictive, lines around the block, kids beating each other up to play this thing, and... A shitty version of Tempest. Yeah, yeah. Um... And, or, who knows, maybe a really, maybe a version of Tempest that was just, like, too good. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, the stories also have mysterious men in black, you know, Matrix, Agent Smith-type guys showing up at the arcades, looking at the uh, high score list and going, huh. And then, carting it away, and it's never seen again. 
So a period of a few weeks kind of thing? Yeah, we're talking about a few weeks to a few months. In the early 1980s. Yeah, 1982 is the year most often given. Now, I've heard that there were maybe some local news sources that kind of maybe support an element or two of this story. Is there any historical documentation at all? Of Polybius? Of Polybius in Portland in the 1980s. Uh, no. Okay. There are, there's not. None at all. But here's something that I do like about the story is that there's lots of pieces of it where if you're into that kind of thing, you can find it. Um, one of my favorite pieces of it was a kid in Eugene, Oregon, and he was playing Asteroids. And a lot of games back then, you could just like play them and play them and play them, and it would go to a kill screen. Uh, but apparently some versions of Asteroids, you could just keep playing. So he wanted to set a time record for how long he could play Asteroids, and he had the support of his parents, uh, was at an arcade, and did this for almost an entire day um, before because he was just you know, sucking down Coca-Cola and orange juice and nothing but, uh, he ended up getting sick and then they had to, uh, take him to the hospital. Um, so that's a kid. That is a case of a kid getting obsessed with a game in Oregon, in Eugene, and then just sort of collapsing, you know, after getting sucked into this weird world of vector graphics. So yeah, there is stuff like that. So why does this legend, do you think, take place in Portland? I mean, why not the San Fernando Valley or New York or Cleveland? I could even more see it like in Tokyo. Why is it set in Portland? Well, uh, the first mention of Polybius is from the late 90s on Usenet. And it is a post that basically outlines what I just told you. Um, And it just mentions Portland. But we don't know who wrote it. Um, they could have written like Cleveland or Toledo or Albuquerque or whoever. Here's the thing about Portland, though. One of my favorite periods of Portland history is in the late 1950s when coin-operated amusements really were something that were extraordinarily sinister. Now, I know that you're familiar with them, but maybe our listeners aren't. Um, Jim Elkins was a gangster at the end of the 1950s who was a racketeer, and he one of his big uh, revenue streams was coin-operated amusements. And we're talking about things like slot machines. Uh, We're also talking about things like pinball. And we're also talking about punch card games, which are kind of like the antecedent to lottery scratchets. These were all illegal uh, in mid-century Portland and in a lot of other places, but they were really lucrative. And if you were having a bar or saloon or that kind of thing, and you wanted to get the guys in, of course you'd have like these various games and whatnot. And sometimes pinball, what kind of was a slot machine? You would get like tokens or prizes or that type of thing. Uh, And this was considered kind of sinister and illicit. Um, This led to a whole scandal and a congressional investigation. Uh, There are two good books about it, uh, Portland Confidential by Phil Stanford and Dark Rose by Robert Donnelly. But the legacy of all this is that uh, those type of machines, which really are the ancestor to the modern video arcade, Uh, Those type of machines were considered illicit and sinister and something that would suck you in and were so addictive that they had to make them illegal. So, to this day, pinball machines will say for amusement only. And that is a nod back to when they were illegal in places like Portland, also other places like New York, uh, Mayor LaGuardia, he famously smashed one and threw it in the river. And it now says for amusement only, so you don't gamble on it. It's a way of saying, no, this is all fun and games. 
this isn't this thing that's going to, you know, get you all addicted and crazy and ruin your life because you spent all your quarters on trying to make the flippers go bing, you know? So when I think about Portland's history of coin-operated amusements, I think Polybius fits in pretty nicely. Now, in your research, you contacted a gentleman who has been attributed with possibly creating the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I found that a, to be a, a pretty fascinating part of the of the, the story. Yeah, so this guy who I uh, uh, contacted, and I was really surprised he wrote me back. Uh, his name is Christian Oliver Windler. Uh, he's better known by his Usenet name, Cyber Yogi. And he is a a uh, German guy who was active on Usenet in the late 1990s, and he was known for being something of a prankster. Um, I found out that this guy uh, invented a religion that he calls Lololaji. I'm probably mispronouncing it. And on the on the English version of his website, uh, he said that it was a reason-based religion that is kind of like Buddhism. And when I was going through this guy's website, I kept thinking about things like, you know, the X-Ray Cafe and the Church of Elvis, and maybe some people in Portland will remember, maybe some people in Portland will remember the UFO Museum back in the late 1990s. I was thinking of that kind of like, you know, weird Portland before keep Portland weird was a thing. He would have fit right in. Um, a lot of people say that he wrote that Polybius entry. He completely denied it. Obviously, he also sent me a whole bunch of weird stuff about subliminal messages, MK Ultra, secret agents, you know, conspiracies, government labs, mind control, that type of stuff. Um, I quote him at length in The Legend of Polybius. Uh, I wanted to quote all of him, but then I thought, that's asking a lot of the reader. That's a lot of that's a lot of MK Ultra out there, cosmic stuff that uh, goes on for a bit. But yeah, he was an interesting guy to talk to. And I hope this isn't a spoiler, but The Legend of Polybius isn't really a book about Polybius necessarily, correct? It's a book about a legend. Um, so it's not a book about Polybius and a game to control your mind. Um, when I was looking into it, I was thinking I was thinking about the internet as a culture and the internet producing legends and myths and folklore and that kind of thing. And I was also thinking about why Polybius has persisted as this kind of, you know, internet monster. Because new stuff gets, you know, vomited out onto the internet every single day. But very little, like, sticks. Not just goes viral for a moment, but actually gets internalized and sort of weaves itself into the fabric and language of the internet. Uh, I think Slenderman is another good example. That's something that when that hit, uh, that's something people believed in it. People got freaked out. And people replicated it. There's a Slender video game. It's called Slender. Haven't played it, but it's on Steam. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do that someday. Uh, and Polybius did exactly that because it taps into, I think, a whole bunch of things that really happened. For example, the bit about you know government agents using it to control your mind or for whatever reason. Um, I think there are a couple different elements to that. Uh, I mean, you, have you seen The Last Starfighter? Yeah, okay. yeah, of course. Last Starfighter, it's a classic. It is about a guy who is so good at playing video games uh, that he is recruited by aliens to be their starfighter, to actually, like, repel the enemy. They say, your skills in this game will translate into being a literal, well, X-Wing type dude. And, you know, the idea of Polybius, it says, oh, they're checking a high score. 
Maybe they're trying to make super soldiers. Maybe if you're really good at Polybius, that means you can be some kind of like zoned out, sort of hypnotized, weird, brain dead combat zombie or something like that, which I actually think is kind of cool. Um, especially in Portland, Oregon. Especially in Portland, Oregon. I also think it elevates video games to other forms of art. Um, there is this myth, it's almost certainly not true, that in ancient Greece, when you went out to a play, you wouldn't see just one play. You would usually do a whole afternoon-evening thing, and you'd see three. And you would always see the tragedy first, and then the comedy last. The idea is so you go home and you're feeling good. You know, some guys, you know, had pratfalls and farted or whatever. But you'd see a tragedy first, because if they ended on the tragedy, people would go home and kill themselves. They were just that sad. They would, they would mess you up. Um, or there's this idea that uh, Goethe, the German author, he wrote this book called The Sour... Sorrows of Young Werther, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing. And this book is about this guy who he's really kind of sensitive and poetic, and he's really into this girl, and he doesn't get with the girl. He kills himself. And supposedly this book, you know, inspired copycat suicides. Other guys dressing in the same way that the protagonist did, and then offing themselves. Um, and this was known as the Werther effect. The Werther effect. This never actually happened, apparently, but people believe in tragedies. People believe in drama and plays and everything. Um, people believe in literature. Um, and Polybius has a video game that does the same thing. You know, video games can fuck you up, just like plays can, just like literature can. Guess what? They're also dangerous. And if it's dangerous, that means it's not frivolous. That means it's substantive. That's what is really fascinating about Polybius. It says games matter because they can turn you into a brainwashed government combat zombie. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think so. Now, this is a short piece. This is Noah Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. It's about uh, 7,000 words. Okay, so is this a short story? Is it a novella? How, how do you classify it? Uh, ebook. Ebook. There we go. <laughs> well, one of, one of the things that apparently has been um, uh, good for about the whole ebook phenomenon is that uh, medium form stuff has a place because if I were to hand this into the Portland Mercury, who I sometimes write, uh, write for, they would say, no, we're not publishing anything that long. Um, but if I were to publish this as a like book book, it would be really thin and it would need a bunch of like padding that nobody would want to read anyway. Something I kind of like about eBooks is that stuff can be middle length. It doesn't have to be 50,000 words. It doesn't have to be just 2000. You can, you can be in the middle of that. So yeah. why did you write this book? Why write a book about the legend of Polybius? Um, few reasons. Uh, one, because of all the giant amounts of dollar bills I'm going to get from Amazon. No. Um, uh, one of the reasons is that I just find it compelling. And there was no one thing about Polybius out there that I thought, you know, put everything together in one place. The best thing about Polybius that I found was in Retrocade magazine in an article by an author called Kat Despira, and she did a lot. Of, she did a lot of homework and wrote a great article about it. But it was still, I thought, was missing some stuff. Um, and I wanted to write the definitive Polybius thing. So another uh, another reason I wanted to write this is that because I'm involved with this lecture series called Stumptown Stories. Which, I've heard of them. Yes, you're involved with them as well. And I did a talk about Polybius um, about uh, a few years ago. Uh, a lot of people showed up. 
um, one of the people there was an organizer for the Portland Retro Games Expo, and he said, would you like to do this talk at the Portland Retro Games Expo? I said, sure. Um, somebody apparently recorded that talk, put it on YouTube, and I have gotten more requests and emails and inquiries about Polybius than anything else I've done. So I thought, hey, people want to know about this. I would be happy to be the guy who writes the Polybius ebook and said, like, here's all your Polybius stuff right here. What didn't make it into the Polybius book? I mean, obviously, he did a lot of research. He contacted some of these kind of mythical, fabled characters in Polybius's history. What did you find, besides all the crazy MKUltra shit, uh, what did you find that didn't make it in? Uh, so one of the things I sadly didn't put in was some of the things that specifically related to the Pacific Northwest, which I thought was kind of a stretch. Um, the Jim Elkin stuff that I talked about with you. Uh, also, in the early 1980s, uh, there was still gambling going on in arcades. So if you want to talk about law enforcement and authority figures showing up at arcades and scoping the place out and giving the place kind of the evil eye, uh, that happened, I want to say, 1981. Um, 1981 or 1982, when an arcade was in Portland, I believe it was a games people play, but don't hold me to that, um, was found to be using a lot of their games, specifically those racing games, which you could manipulate really easily. There's basically just settings that the operator can toggle with to make people win or lose. Um, for gambling purposes, uh, this was not legal and got raided. And I really wanted to put that in uh, because it was an arcade sinisterness around the same time as Polybius, but I thought it was kind of a stretch. Um, there was also an incident where in Texas in the 1980s, there was a guy who uh, went into an arcade and ended up killing people with a big knife. That was a bit too... And it seems that that didn't have anything to do with the games themselves, uh, that was just one crazy guy who decided he wanted to kill people for fun, and it happened to be in an arcade. Um, putting that in, I think, would have been a bit too macabre for its own sake. Mm -hmm. Now, you said in the book that you hate it when people ask you if Polybius was a real game okay. or not. <laughs> and uh, I, I want to respect your sensibilities. No, it's okay. Uh, so, so I you can this, ask me. You can I've, ask I've me. I flipped this around a little bit. Okay. Tell me why Polybius was real. Tell you why Polybius is real? Yeah, yeah. Well, give me the evidence that Polybius is real. There's that Usenet post. That's it? Um, there are also uh, various images that appeared after that. So the only thing we have for Polybius is post-1998 evidence. The Usenet post, um, pictures of arcade cabinets with like Polybius written on them. Uh, there's also this arcade collector called Rob Sherwin, and he listed Polybius in his collection. Um, there is, uh, there are a few like online museums that list Polybius as well. That's what we have. Now tell me why Polybius is not real. One of the reasons Poly I don't think Polybius is real is that it doesn't show up in any written evidence prior to 1998. Um, we would have heard about it. Yeah. What can we learn from the legend of Polybius besides staying away from German amusements? <laughs> Oh, yeah, we didn't get into that, that it was uh, supposedly a German company 
Sinnschlossen, which right, means, which means sense delete. Sense delete, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, so that's another layer of sinisterness, like yeah. sinister German mind controllers. See, I can yeah. fucking buy that, actually. Okay. Like, like, that's when I can buy it. That is why Polybius might be real. Mm-hmm. So, um, what, what, what was the question? What can we learn from Polybius? <laughs> what can we learn from Polybius? I think one thing we can learn from Polybius is that video games are not just mundane, everyday household objects. Okay, let's say you're writing a horror story. You're not going to write a horror story about the haunted dish towel. Okay, you're not going to do that. Uh, you're not going to write a horror story about, like, the haunted hubcap. Uh, but if somebody says, hey, here's a book, and a book, the Necronomicon, it's bound in human skin, it's written in blood, it's got all these eldritch secrets, drives you insane, gives you dark power, people go, okay, I'm on board. Um, even a movie like The Ring with the videotape, it's like, you watch this movie. You see a bunch of creepy shit, and seven days later you die. That's a great movie. When that movie came out, people were freaked out. I was freaked out. And those things, like film and like literature, we see them as special and powerful. And with Polybius, we see video games as powerful. Because I've had experiences where I've been playing games, and I have been afraid. Like, I don't talk about this in a book. But uh, one of my favorite games of all time is Silent Hill 2. And I remember playing that game, and I remember sweat forming on my palms while I was holding the PS2 controller, and I was just freaked out. Um, another one of my favorite games is called Shadow of the Colossus. It's another PS2 game. And there are these really big, beautiful monster-type creatures, and you kill them, and you feel like shit after you do it. And it's like, oh, man... I'm having feelings. And Polybius is like, yeah, games can make you have feelings. Games are art. That's what we learned from Polybius, that games are art. That was my long way of saying that. (laughs) And stay the fuck away from German amusements. Stay the fuck away from German amusements. Where can people find the ebook and how much will it cost? You can find the ebook on Amazon. Just search for The Legend of Polybius on Amazon. You might also see a bunch of stuff by the historian Polybius. You can buy that if you want. I don't care, but you should also buy The Legend of Polybius by me. Uh, it'll be one ninety nine. And, of course, we're going to have a commerce link to The Legend of Polybius on this episode's page on our website, orhistory.com. So thanks so much for chatting with us, Joe. And uh, I hope you don't go batshit crazy the next time you are playing your game console. Thank you. Me too. But if you became an NSA agent by doing it, that might be kind of fucking cool. I really hope that I'll play one of those Batman games like Arkham Knight or Arkham City and actually do Batman. I got a pocket full of quarters and I'm headed to the arcade. Thank you for listening, Ass Kickers, and be on the lookout for future podcasts from ORHistory.com. We hope that you agree that today's episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kent Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. Kick-Ass Oregon History is on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. Follow us on Instagram at Kick-Ass Oregon History. We're also on the Facebook. 
The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. Want more kick-ass Oregon history in your life? Become a podcast supporter. Learn more at orhistory.com. Just don't get too close to Mr. K. Crispin. Let's go to fucking Wonderland, dressed in black suits with clipboards and shit like that, and let's put a Polybius placard over a Tempest game and put selfies on Instagram. Would anybody on or else on Earth think that that was cool, or would I, I be the only one? I, I will totally do that with you. No, for real, I will do that with you. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass. On the attack, dude, get in my belly, cause you wiggity wiggity whack, dude. I end up challenges while they super damages. Suckers get served like pork chop sandwiches. You just a fruit in a maze with no replace that's out of order. I'm like that player in the game who dropped my scores on just one quarter. Come on, say something right. Increase my appetite. I'm in a hunger seizure. Damn, I should have mentioned I got Pac-Man fever. It's driving me orhistory.com